hey, good, good morning, everybody. Glad you're excited. Uh, since like most of you know me already, but I'm, I'm Kendall Anderson. And, uh, and uh, so uh, a lot of you know me already, like I said. I've been, I've been here for three or four years now, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great to be here. And a lot of you guys already know my testimony, my story, and how I ended up like standing here and not being out in the world like I was. So I remember as like a young child recognizing, you know, I got told about God and Jesus, and I was like, but I kind of rather do what I want. So I kind of just ignored all that. And by the time I found a good reason to just deny it all and say, no, that's as unreal as Santa Claus is, just something the adults made up so I can do whatever I want, or so I have to, I have to be good. Threw that away, started identifying as an atheist, and I was, now I can do whatever I want, and nothing matters, and so I'm going to do whatever I want. Sex, you know, I'm, I'm in drugs, I'm doing crime, I'm definitely hanging out with the wrong crowd, and things aren't looking so hot. I'm hurting the people I love. I'm ended up behind bars and handcuffs over and over. Life's not good, but I didn't care. I thought it didn't matter. I thought I was just going to be dead someday. So whether I was in handcuffs or whether I was like a good guy before I went in that hole in the ground, didn't really matter to me. But I had a friend come to me one day and be like, no, Kendall, dude, you're all wrong. You got this mixed up. You might have all your atheist philosophy and all your smart scientific ideas. He's like, but I know better. I actually don't even know that much, but I know God's real. I know Jesus is Lord. And um, I want you to believe the same. And I love you. Like, just believe me. And I like, fought with him all night. And he, at the end of the night, he was like, dude, you can't budge me. God's real. And that, that faith got to me. I went to bed that night, and I was like, have I been wrong this whole time? And it scared me so bad. But over that next month, I uh, began to think to myself, like, okay, maybe there, maybe there are reasons God's real. Let's look for him. And the, the fact that, like, water and life and everything falls from the heavens and, and gives me life and gives me food and gives me everything I need, um, the fact that there's, there's a book, there's a manual, like what could I have asked more for than a manual to live my life by? Or for somebody to come here and live an example for me that I can model it after. Sure seems like there's a God looking out for me, and it sure seems like he loves me, and that he's made a beautiful creation, and he wants me to live a beautiful life. And uh, it kind of hit me, oh crap, I've been disobeying this guy my whole life, and he's, he's real, he's not only real, he's right here, and he's never not been here. And I got to tell this dude sorry, and I did. Told him sorry, I was sorry for whatever I did, and I re- recognized that moment, Dude, you're, I'm going to obey you now. Everything I did didn't get me anywhere. I'm going to do everything you say. And I, I'm going to give up everything because I see now that you're worth it. And so, yeah, it's been like eight years since that moment. And uh, it took me five years to come find this church for you guys to help me get my stuff straight. It, it was hard without you guys. I didn't know the word of God. No one really taught me. Like, I read my Bible, but I was kind of lost. But I came here, and you guys taught me. And, uh, man, I, you guys have been here the last three years. Me, it's been, it's been a crazy ride. And uh, to meet all you guys and have new friends, new family, this is the best time of my life. And I'm also just thankful to be here. The fact that Brandon's God and he's let me like, here alone loose in his pulpit. I'm thankful for his trust. <laughs> I'm thankful that God is, uh, has also trusted me with this. And I hope I, I can honor that and I, I can share the word with you guys and we can all be affected by it. And so also, and I know all of you, I some, know some longer than others to so say my, my father, my, both my grandmothers, my mother, and my very pregnant wife and her sister are here. So, so please, yeah, this is my family. And so, yeah, um, I, I was thinking while we were singing about how, like, God's a good father, right? I'm thinking, like, my father's here, and I'm so thankful for that. And I was thinking about how he, w- he was a good father to me in many ways. Like, that ma- he taught me how to work hard. We went out to the farm every weekend or all the time or every day, and that man taught me how to, how to labor and to sweat and to toil. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about labor and laboring for the floor. And uh, my father taught me how to, how to work with my hands on this earth. But for the last years, my Father in Heaven has been teaching me how to labor in the ministry with you guys. 
And so um, kind of what we're talking about today is that and the, the philosophy God's taught me and what he's given to me. And I'm telling you, like, the message I share with you today has been on my heart for years since God taught me it because it changed my life. It changed the way I lived. It changed the way I woke up, how, how I felt the second I woke up and the moment I got home from work in between. I never stopped remembering that I was God's servant because of this passage. And I, want, I want to share that with you guys. I want you guys to feel the same way. I want you to, to realize that you're always clocked in. That's what this message is about. And so if we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into the passage now. And so the context of, so let's go to the context of the whole Bible real fast. <laughs> All right, so God made us. There's Adam and Eve in the garden. We get tricked. We fall. We sin. Death and sin are reigning in the world, right? And then Miles talked about Abraham. There's this man that God chose that said, you're going to put your faith in me. And I, I love that. That's what I want. I want you just to believe my promises and live in that. And so God promises a seed, God promises a deliverer, God promises a holy chosen people through Abraham. And then after that, guess what? We're humans, we mess up. Next thing you know, his kids are in bondage in, uh, in Egypt. They have to get delivered. The exodus happens. Moses comes. They get the law. And then God has, a, and then next thing you know, God has a, a kingdom of holy chosen people under his rule, under his word, under his reign in Israel. And uh, things are going good sometimes, bad other times, but the, the prophets keep coming and the people keep saying, like, no, this isn't good enough. There's a deliverer coming. There's a man coming. And that man is going to be God and he's going to be God and reign over us here. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's why we're all here today. It's because of that man did come and he's here. And so what we're going to be looking at today is the, the book of Luke, which, um, and then just a little context of the book of Luke, it's Luke, it's one of the four gospels. It's, it's uh, just a historical account of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that, that God-man who came here to reign over the Israelites and to deliver the world from sin, and you guys know what he did. So he's here, and he's speaking. So we're in the midst of this book of Luke. Jesus has been teaching, you know, teaching after teaching, parable after parable, you know, making the Pharisees mad left and right. He's been doing his thing. And uh, we get to a point where the apostles just are being confronted with something hard, like Jesus is like, I'm not asking you just to forgive people. I'm saying you need to forgive people seven times in one day if they keep telling them you're sorry. And the disciples are like, oh my goodness. Dude, I can't do that. Jesus, you need to give me more faith. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into this. Um, dear Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. Like I said, I'm thankful for the, the father that you've been. I'm thankful for the, um, the way you, you've taught me to, to be a worker for you. And um, I'm asking for you to bless this word and to bless all our hearts. And so, Lord, that we can we can all be on the same page and, and work with the work ethic that you gave us through your word. This is a huge book, and you've taught us so many things. And um, You spoke for reasons. It was written for reasons. So, Lord, just please let this word impact them. We ask this all in your name and for your glory. Amen. So, yeah, the passage we're going to be looking at today is Luke 17, 5 through 10. So, here's what it says. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know, like, We've got to forgive all those guys. They need help. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? Would I rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunkard, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. All right, so we see this passage, and obviously, like, take this, like, a bunch of different directions. That was quite a bit of a scripture there. 
But what we're going to be talking about today is like, what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? Like, what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? It's a question we're going to answer. Another question we're going to answer is like, so what does it mean to, to clock in and clock out? So say at work, I work with Donnie back here, we have T-sheets we on our phone. Like, so literally we get there in the morning, we, we say, uh, we got to clock in, and, we, and at lunchtime we clock out for lunch and we yell, T-sheets, to, to remind ourselves because we forget every day and you're clocked in for 99 hours and your boss is mad. So that's what clocking in looks like at our workplace, and I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm sure you're, you're clocking in and clocking out in some way or another. You know, you're, you're working, and there, there's time that you're, you're back at home, and you got, you got your own time. So we're going to, what does the scripture say about that? What does the scripture say about clocking out? Does God have T-sheets? Does God have a, you know, a punch card? What is that? And I mean, like, like, I need to eat, I need to drink, I need to sleep, I need to relax. Like, I'm not always working, I'm not always doing things. What does it, what does it mean to stop working for God? And uh, really, we're going to see at this message, like, big surprise, it, it starts with faith. That's what everything starts with. That's what everything we're doing here starts with. It starts with faith. Because we have to put faith in this uh, message. We have to put faith in this word. We have to put faith in this to get the obedience we want out of our lives. And that's exactly what the apostles have, uh, are looking for. In, in verse 5, it says, Lord, increase our faith. That's what they want. And you can tell right away why these are the guys that the Lord picked to be his twelve. That's what they want. They want faith. They want to follow God. They want to do what he's asked. We need to have that same heart. And in Hebrews 11, verse 6, we see exactly why that is. Because the scripture says, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Like, how can you possibly please a guy you don't believe in? And how could you possibly disappoint him if you didn't believe that there was something to disappoint? You get what I'm saying? You've you got to believe what he says. You've got to believe it's true. You've got to believe in the one who said it. If you're going to do what he said and, and please him. And not only that, it's like this thing of faith, this idea, this overarching theme of the Bible, that very thing is the difference between your righteousness and your wickedness. In Romans 4, um, we explain that really well in, in the context of Abraham. So Romans 4 says, <clears throat> from verse, eight, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope, speaking of Abraham, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall they seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore is imputed to him for righteousness." So God's not saying, ah, oh, Abraham did all this cool stuff, or he was the baddest guy around. God said, this dude just believed me. He just believed that what I said was true, that it would come true, and that he should live by it. That's all I want. And he's righteous now just because he did that. That's all he had to do. So that, that's kind of where we're at with faith. You know, like that, That's the difference for us, and we're going to end up talking more about that later. But as for the conscious of what we're doing, we need that faith to walk in obedience. We have to believe that what God says is true. And so I'm asking you guys to like, with the faith you've got, let's look at the word and be, let's be challenged by it. Let's see what it has to say. Because I know my life isn't perfectly conformed to the word of God. I mean, whose is? But I'm so excited and happy to hear, no matter how hard it is, they're like, all right, well, let's get right with God. Let's do it. Let's, let's change things up and let's serve him better. So moving on to verse 6 of the passage, we, we can't help but notice that what Jesus says in response. They say, give me faith. And it says, and the Lord said. So Jesus isn't like, poof here you got some faith, or do this incredible thing, or, or anything else like that. He just begins to speak. 
And so we can't forget that God's response when we say, I want faith, is that he speaks. And we see in Romans 10, it says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where faith comes from. It comes from hearing his word. So when his apostles asked for faith, Jesus is like, yeah, I got that. I'm just going to speak to you. And if, and if you listen to my word and if you let it go in your heart, it's going to grow faith inside you. So if you guys ever feel like your faith is, is little or going away or gone or you're having doubts, well, look what happens when the apostles ask Jesus for faith. He just speaks to them. So anytime you're ever feeling like that, no, you can go straight to his word. That's, what, that's God's like cure for your problem. That's what he's giving you. All right, so let's finish reading out verse 6. So when the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So there's a lot of things going on. You guys are like, what does that have to do with mustard? What's a sycamine tree? I'm lost. All right, so a sycamine tree is just a pretty like normal tree, like an oak tree in Jerusalem. You see them everywhere. But uh, a mustard seed, Jesus explains in a different passage, in a different gospel, what it is and the significance of it. So in Mark 4, verses 30 through 32, he says, And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and sheweth out great branches, so the fowls of the air may may, uh, lodge under the shadow of it. So what Jesus is saying here, so if you've got the type of, if you've got faith this big, if you've got it, if you've got that one little grain of it where you mean it, where you really believe what God says, you believe that it's true, that's all it takes. There's no, there's no kind of believing it. There's no like, do you believe it or not? But if you do believe it just that little bit, that's all God needs. That's all he wants from you. That's the beginning. He'll begin to grow something. So Jesus is saying, if you believe that much, if you believe me, if you have faith, if, you, if you've got this, you can do anything. And look how impossible that sounds, like get, taking up a tree and putting it in the water. And, and other times he even says, like, you can pick up a mountain and throw it in the sea. Like, I don't know why it's always in the sea. You're picking stuff up and throwing it. In the, God, God says you can do it. <laughs> the impossible is possible with faith. And not only that, in this, in this little picture, we see a picture of this, of this tree, like what, exactly what Miles was talking about earlier, about being removed from your place and going where God's asked of you. That's exactly what happens to this tree. This tree is like, um, I'm in dirt. That, that's where I belong. Like, what do, you, what do you mean go get planted in the water? But the tree, the power of faith, it moved that tree to go be planted somewhere. It didn't belong, and it wasn't supposed to be. That's what God said, and that's what happened. It was best for that tree one way or another. And so as we continue to read, we're finding that Jesus tells us what that mission is for our life, what it means to be taken out of where we were and set down where we're supposed to be, even no matter how ridiculous it looks to be there. We're commanded to take care of God first ahead of ourselves. That'd be the, the next point we're talking about. And this idea is, and like, I mean, that's a really obvious thing, right? Where no, one, no one came here this morning and thought, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to like, take care of me first and then I'll go to God. But sometimes our, our lives might show that that's what we think. So as, as we read verse 7, we're going we're gonna to kind of get into this idea of what I'm talking about, of uh, putting God first or being clocked in. So let's read it. So, but which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? All right, so let's break this down. We've got, we've got a servant plowing or feeding cattle. And so that's a really good picture of, like, your 9 to 5 job. You know, everyone here, we all had to got, got these clothes somehow. We all got fed this morning somehow. Uh, we all have roofs over our heads, hopefully. Like, 
we're being provided for, and that takes a nine to five job. Most of, most of us, or all of us have those, or somebody that has those is supporting us. That, that's the way life is. And so that, that's the picture here. We're out there working in the field, and we're out there working livestock or whatever it is to make a providence for our lives. And so we, we get off work every day, and most of us drive home or whatever, but God's still our boss. We call him Lord, right? You know, that's who he is. And so we get home, and, and so that's kind of what Jesus is asking. Like, so when, when, and so we're talking about servanthood here. This is, so this guy in this picture, he's more like a servant we are to God. This isn't a guy that just clocks in and clocks out. This is a, a servant, or more like a, the term slave, but if we, without all the negative connotations. Like this man was um, always with his master and was always seeking to do what he'd asked. And so Jesus is like, all right, well, when this guy gets home from doing what you told him out in the field, does he just come back to the master's house and kick up his feet and say, all right, it's time for me to eat and just hang out and do whatever I want? Like, so for us, do, when we get off work, do we... Do we come home and just kick back on the couch and God sits down next to us and he's like, yeah, man, let's kick back and watch some Netflix. That sounds great. Is that what's happening? That Jesus is asking that question. And then like, so I think for a second, I'm like, all right, I know enough about God that God's not like, his thing isn't Netflix. Like, that's not like what he's about, you know? And so it, we look at verses like John 4.23 and Revelation 4.11, where you kind of get a more idea, like big picture what God wants. What is he actually seeking? Why, why are we doing all this? So John 4.23 says, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And Revelation 4.11 says, and this is like the reason of all existence. This is like, I think this is like the coolest verse in the whole Bible. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So right here, God's word tells us the whole point of all of this, the whole point of everything is that God wants glory and honor and power and he deserves it for being creator. And how much more can each of us right here have seen God move in our lives who just, it's wonderful being alive. It's wonderful being here. It's wonderful being this creation. Like how awesome is that? And to even begin to think that he came here and suffered and died for us, I, I can't begin to be thankful enough, you know? Like, how much does our God deserve to be glorified and honored for what he's done? Amen? Amen. And so a, a little smaller picture of that. So how is, how is God going to get that glory and honor? Well, it's by worshipers. It's by interacting with his creation and them loving him and serving him the way he deserves. So God, God's seeking worshipers. God's seeking a, a people. God's seeking us. We're the ones that glorify him, and, and we're those worshipers he's, he's looking for. And so, we, so I get, we get home from work, and it's like, all right, well, I didn't make any worshipers today at work. Um, God, God, what are you doing here? And so when I get home, it's like, well, what next? So before we move forward, there, there's nothing wrong with our jobs. They're not saying quit your job You're not because you're not making worshipers at work. Like, you need to quit. And you, you can, though, right? You can share the gospel with your coworkers. Like, you can always be serving God in all things. But, like, yeah, we need to eat. We need to drink. Like, who do you think paid for this building? Who do you think paid for that huge building down the way? Like, that costs money. That took a lot of work. But see, the thing is, what I'm trying to commute to you is that what we're doing to get that money, God isn't that particularly concerned with. God doesn't really care if houses have roofs. God doesn't really care if, like, you guys are insured or not. God doesn't really care if, like, uh, the piping gets done at whatever hotel you're working at, right? You're right, like, God's not that interested in it. He's, it's like, God's not sitting up there in heaven like, yes, the piping got finished at the Marriott Inn. 
Thank you, Uriah, my servant. Oh. <laughs> Praise me. <laughs> That's not what's happening. That's not what's going on. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these things are bad. They're all happening for his purpose, and it is for his glory. Like if somebody didn't do the piping in this building, we wouldn't be here serving and worshiping him. All these things have their place. But for another picture, like, all right, so me and Allie have been married for a while. Can you imagine if we were like, all right, let's do something together. There's, there's something that's so important to us. It's us spending time together. So let's go out and let's, let's spend a weekend together. And so what we do is we begin to work. We begin to toil. We begin to, to gather materials. We're, um, we're calling people. We're getting airplane tickets. We're packing our bags. And we've we spent all this time and like a chunk of our lives getting ready for this time that is what we really want, right? So now imagine me and Natalie like get in the airplane and we, we land there and I'm like, bye Natalie, I'm going to go do whatever I want. <laughs> like she'd be heartbroken. She'd be like, what, what have we been doing? We've spent so many hours every day working and toiling and figuring this out and planning all this. And then when we got there to the time we were supposed to spend together, you just left. You just went and did whatever you want. Like, man, he, like, can you imagine that? Like how, Natalie'd be like, What? Like, I am upset. <laughs> I'm going to go into labor right now. <laughs> but guys, this is what I'm saying. When you come home from work, and you've made all that money, and you've done all the things God asked you to, and then you don't begin to serve him, that's how God feels. The whole reason you made that money, the whole reason you provided for your life, is for that time that you're not at work. Because that's the time that you become a servant of God. The whole point of all this food and clothes, it was all that you could serve him. It's all that you could find worshipers. It's so that you could bring him glory. That's the point of your free time. So let's keep reading. Let's, let's see more what this time is supposed to look like. Uh, verse 8. And we'll not rather say unto him, so this is what he'd rather want you to do. Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. So God's saying here is saying, well, I, I don't want you to get home from, from work, from your 9 to 5 job. Like, I'm talking to you guys. Like, this isn't just a sermon, a story. It's, it's a picture of you. God's saying, I don't want you to come home from your 9 to 5 job and say it's time for me to do what I want. What he'd rather say is, as God says, I've got commands for you the moment you get in from the field. I've got something for you to do. He says, prepare, he says, prepare me a meal. Put on your uniform and serve me. And God's not talking about spaghetti here. God doesn't eat spaghetti. Or maybe he does, I don't know. I think there was pasta in the Middle East back in the day. But if we read Psalm 50, we kind of get what God's talking about. It's like, prepare God a meal and God doesn't eat. So in Psalm 50, it says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So, yeah, God's not asking you to feed him. He's not asking for your stuff. He wants your life and your heart. He wants your thanksgiving. He wants your promise of servitude that you gave him the moment you called him Lord for that first time because you meant it if you got saved. 
You promised him your life. You promised him your servanthood. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians? It says that he, he owns you now. The church was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That was payment for you. God says, I want you to, to serve me. I want you to glorify yourself, or no, not yourself, glorify me on earth through you when I answer your prayers and I deliver you from adversity and when you praise me for what I've done for you. That's what brings me glory. He wants worshipers. And so what that looks like, Christian in the church age, you know, Gentile sitting in this room, he wants you to serve him. And, and many of us who've been through discipleship are familiar with what that servitude looks like. In Ephesians 4, 11 or 12, I'm sure many of us have memorized, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So when you get home from work, what God's telling us here is you're supposed to put on your uniform. He says, gird thyself. So when you get home, you, you put on a uniform, it says like evangelist, or you put on your uniform, and for branding, it would say pastor. Or for those of us who have been teaching or you're a disciple, it, it says teacher. That's what happens when you get home, is you put on that uniform, because you're a servant of God now. You didn't clock out. He's calling you to spend your time and your effort and your free time that you prepared for during that work to edify the saints. He's asking you to strengthen others. He's asking you to teach others. And on top of that, he's definitely asking you to preach the gospel. Now, before you begin to think I'm some crazy guy that's like asking too much of your lives, you're like, Kendall, you've gone too far. It sounds like you're telling me I can't do anything but serve God. And really, I am. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I cannot look at the lives of Jesus Christ or Paul and say, man, they, I think they just gave too much. They were, they were too serious about the ministry. And, like, and they got to heaven. And like, Jesus is God, obviously. But like, Paul gets to heaven. And God's like, dude, I, I wanted you to play golf on the weekends. What were you doing? That's not going to happen. Those guys that gave all, that gave every moment, every second of their lives, God said, thank you. Or actually, he didn't say thank you. That's the whole end of that. But God said, good job. <laughs> God said, good job. Well done, thou faithful servant. You sacrificed your life for me, just like I asked of you. But also, but I am not a, I'm not telling you you can't watch Netflix. I'm not telling you you can't go on vacation. I'm not telling you you can't do things you want or find. That's not, I'm, I'm not coming down to lay down the law or be a legalist. I'm trying to apply a principle to our lives, right? I'm trying to change what our hearts say when we get home from work. I'm not trying to tell you those things are evil or wrong or don't be a moviegoer. Like, that's not what I'm saying here. You guys believe me? You guys with me? You're not? Okay, cool. So we read that after God has eaten and drunken, we, will, we then will be told we can eat and drink ourselves. All right, so you guys are like, okay, whew, at least the Bible says, like, there's an afterward and I get to eat and drink later. Kindle's not saying that, but the Bible says that. <laughs> Wait and see. <laughs> so, we read, so we read that after God has eaten and drunk it, we will then be told, oh, yeah. So, well, we know one thing. God wants us for sinners to be saved by the gospel and spread throughout the earth. And uh, passages like Acts 1.8 and Matthew 18.12 make that really clear. Like, that's our job. That's our mission as Christians. You guys are so familiar uh, so familiar with. Jesus says, but she, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in Matthew, Jesus says, how think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety-nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? Like, 
you guys know how much God loves you and how much he loves us and how much he's seeking each and every one of us that is lost. He's seeking us out. He's trying to find us. He doesn't want us out there being lost in the world and going through all that. He wants us to hear the gospel and he wants us to, to become disciples of him. That's what's best for us and that's what we've been commanded to do. So now when I think about like God eating and drinking, if he said, I don't eat human food, but how can I say God's been fed and God's had enough to drink when there's still lost sheep out there? Like, I don't, I don't have the guts it takes to say that. Oh, yeah, God, you're done eating. Enough, enough people are saved. Enough's been done. I mean, like, look at Paul. Like, when, when, he, when he was in jail, like, was, was that dude getting any R&R? Do you think any of that was resting or relaxing? He ever felt like he, he was still trying to minister to the people that were jailing him. The moment they got him out to court, he was like, yeah, I'm actually just going to preach the gospel to you guys. That's all, that's all I'm doing. That's all I'm interested in. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if I never get to leave this cell. I'm going to speak the truth. And so, yeah, so, so the afterward, so that's what it says, is an afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Well, we're kind of realizing right now that God's not going to be done eating and drinking. There are still lots of people out there. We still got to work. So that afterward isn't coming in our lives. And so, so what I am saying, guys, like, I am saying there's not really time to be doing whatever we want. There's not really time to be doing like things like spending hours of our days and our, our lives doing things like Netflix and watching movies and, and blah, blah, blah. But, and again, what I'm not saying to you is that you can't do those things. There, there's a context for them. You guys are, the last thing I want is you guys to feel like I'm being a legalist or anything like that up here. But let, let's look at a verse and see what I'm talking about, though. Let's look at Matthew 16, 25. It, it's, it doesn't have a title on it. But what it says is, is, For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Like, that's the deal. That, that's the beginning of all this. You lost your life the moment you picked up Christ's. The moment you put him on, you said, I don't want any of that anymore. I want to follow you and I want to serve you. And what we end up reading is, uh, I think I lost it. But there, there is an afterward. There is an afterward. There is a time when we're going to eat and drink. You guys all know when that is. In Luke 22, verses 28 through 30, it says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. So you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Like, guys, there's our rest. There's that place where we're going to be done working, where we're done toiling. We've, we have found all the sheep. Our Father has eaten and drunken, and now it's time for us to rest. We've got eternity. It's, it's kind of like clocking, like when you're at work, you're like, oh, I, get off at, I get off at six. You know, God's telling us you get off when you die. That's, that's kind of the case. So to, to backtrack, to put a little light in things, so guys, like a life of rest, a life of peace, a life of having fun is exactly what being a minister of the gospel looks like. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says, And they continue in daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So let's look at the lives of the church the book of Acts led. This isn't a life where these people were being worked to death, but it doesn't say they're clocking out either. 
These people live lives full of joy and rest. They went to their Sunday services. They went to Tuesday night prayer. They went over and had dinner at the Briscoes. They went over to Seth's house and hung out and watched a movie. They went out in public and made friends with those in the city. Husbands spent time with their wives and their children. That was their rest. That was their R&R. That was their me time. It looked a a lot more like us time for them. Are you guys seeing that? Because that, that was what's best for them. They were with the body of Christ. Me time is, is Christ time. And I'll tell you that I've had this mindset in me for the last couple of years where I, I viewed my rest, I reviewed my, or I saw my me time, my R&R, I saw that as you guys. I, I set aside Sundays as days of rest for me to be with my family. And guys, I can't tell you how rejuvenated you guys make me, how much joy and peace you guys bring to my life when we get together and watch Netflix or we get together and watch a movie. We, we get together and be a family and the point of it isn't, isn't that thing. It's that I'm with you. And so I'm just really encouraging you guys to understand that, that that's the rest God's given us. And I hope you guys can see that. And I hope you guys don't can deny your flesh and say, you know what, when I feel worn out, when I feel like I'm struggling, when this ministry is calling too much on my life, there's a crazy guy that says, I can't even watch Netflix at, at church now. Brandon is gone. He went crazy and got rid of Netflix, and I'm mad now. No, I'm sure you guys don't feel that way. But I just really want to encourage you guys to see that, that this is our rest. This is our family. And we don't, when you get into the ministry, when you start living your life making disciples and spreading the gospel and teaching or discipling and all those things, there isn't that much free time anymore. It's used up. And guess what? I still want that free time to, to bring glory to God. And it, that happens whenever I'm with you guys. God's never going to be upset that you hung out and loved one another and broke bread together and, and shared your lives with one another. God's never going to be upset. He's going to say, well done, thou faithful servant. So this is kind of my point. This is the, this is the whole, whole point of this whole passage and, and where we're going. There are people to preach the gospel to. There's disciples to teach. We can't lie to ourselves and say it's okay to go, to what, go do whatever we want because the moment I take off my uniform from work, God says, gird thyself. And I should joyfully put on my servant's robes and say to him, what wilt thou have me to do? Just as I did the first day I met him. I know that the Lord will give me the rest I need and the fellowship I will share with the body, not anything of this world. Not anything else but him and his ministry and his word and his prayer and his life. So yeah, whenever we, and so we come to the end of this passage and we say, all right, so this is what it looks like to be clocked in for God. This is what it means to, to know him. This is what it means to serve him. This is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. It means to be that in. That's what we see in our example in Acts 2. And as we approach the end of our passage, we kind of see, all right, all right, well, well why? why? Why are things this way? Why am I a servant that, like, is giving my everything and my all that, like, what could be expected of me is to be jailed. What could be expected of me as servant? My role, like, when I get to work, it might say, be in jail today. It might say, get tortured today. It might say, lay down your life for people that are horrible to you. That's what our job looks like. So, so why are things this way? And so... And that's what kind of Jesus does at the, at the end of this passage is he's teaching this hard lesson to his disciples of what it looks like to be obedient in faith. He reminds them 
why they should be humble and thankful to even have this place to be obedient in. So verse 9 says, Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. It's like, whoa. I thank people all the time for doing things. Jesus, you mean you're not just like happy when I did stuff for you? Like you're not thankful? And I think we use thanks and thankfulness and like, you know, we say it's, it's polite here in America, right? You know, anybody does anything for you, you're like, you're like, thanks, man. Thanks for doing that. He was like expected them or what they should have done. Like uh, even Mickey, my boss at work, like whenever he's like, hey, will you go do that, please? And thank you. When I'm, when I'm bossing people around, I don't say please and thank you. I'm just like, hey, get me that. <laughs> like, I just don't have the time to, to thank or my, to be around that. And, that thing is, and I'm very thankful. For my, I'm like, man, my boss is polite. I like that. He's, he's staying pleased to me after I've worked him for three years to hand him anything. It's pretty cool. But what God's trying to say is that the reason why you're thankful for somebody is because they, they went out of their way. Like when somebody gives me a gift or like, you know, sacrifices themselves and gives something, that's when I'm really thankful. That's when I'm like, thank you, dude. You, you paid for something for me. You gave something. I, I have thanks to give to you in return. That's the thanks we have to give to God. And so for God as our almighty creator who's given us everything, like what could we ever give him back to make him be thankful for? If we look at the context of, like, of where we came from, which in verse 10, it says, So likewise ye, we shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Whoa, did Jesus just call us unprofitable? Did he just tell us like, that what we do isn't worth it? He's, that's not what he's saying. He's reminding us of where we came from and what we were and that we were unprofitable and why we're serving him in this manner. What well, it says in Matthew 25, and it says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when, we, when all of us were born, when all of us were made, God expected us to serve him from the beginning, and we didn't, did we? Every single one of us felt that call of God in our lives, that there is a creator, and he deserves worship, and he deserves servitude, he deserves obedience, and we didn't give it to him. So we, we come from that place and we're saved by Jesus Christ after all that. Like, God's not thankful that you stopped being evil. A cop doesn't come to you every day and say, hey, you didn't murder anybody today. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's not, that's not what's going on. You weren't supposed to murder people because murdering people is wrong. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to do nice things. You're supposed to obey God because it's what's right. It's what's expected of you. This is, that is the status quo. You aren't reaching up and above and beyond whenever you obey God. That was the standard. We've, what we were is we dropped below and we're coming back up to where we were. So as we consider this, and we, we go back to the, the message I shared with you about how like, you're just supposed to be clocked in and you're not supposed to be living your life for yourself, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Like if I never had anything to, God give, to give God in the first place and I actually only deserved hell, I only actually deserved to be cast out into outer darkness, Man, serving God is a whole lot better than anything I deserved. Every day that I could just serve God and give up my life and give up the things I want to do to serve him, I should be praising God, like, thank you so much that I'm here right now, even doing a hard thing, that I'm here right now and I'm your son and I know you and I have a body and I have a fellowship and I have a pastor and I have a God to, that I have in my life. This is so much better than what I deserved. I mean, think about it, it's like, being in jail on earth sucks. Like, can you imagine God's jail? That's hell. 
That's the lake of fire. That's what we deserved. That's why we needed a Jesus to come and save for us. To come to save us. So we begin to look at this call in our lives that we need to be clocked in all the time, that when you get home, you put on a servant, you should happily be buttoning up your uniform for God and saying, yes, sir. I'm so thankful I'm wearing this uniform. I'm not wearing whatever orange jumpsuits you wear in hell. I don't know. (laughs) Probably not very comfortable. So this kind of brings us to a, a crossroads here. So we've been talking about salvation. We've been talking about what it looked like <clears throat> to be an unprofitable servant. And so let's, let's really visit that. Because, guys, I, I know with a group of people this big, I mean, there's at least one of us that, that isn't the servant I'm talking about. There's at least one of us that hasn't come to a place where they, they, met, they met Jesus Christ face-to-face, person-to-person. You're saved by a person. You're not saved by an idea or a feeling or anything. You're saved by meeting the person, Jesus Christ, and calling him Lord. So let's look what that looks like and, and why things are like that. Um, it's easy, really easy for the gospel to get watered down. It can be, oh, be as good as you can, and hopefully God will send you to heaven, or literally just believe that this sentence is true, and now you're good. That's not the case. That's not what's happening. That's not why the God of earth takes you from being a place where you deserve hell to deserving eternity with him forever. There's, there's a big gap between that. And it takes something radical. It takes that faith of a mustard seed we were talking about earlier. So really this begins the fact that God's pronounced a, a sentencing for sin. And that's the way it's been since the beginning. In Genesis, God says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree garden, you will die. That was just for meat and a fruit and a tree. And God's also said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so because, because God is life and light, Rejecting him and choosing to be away from him and to disobey him is to choose death. That's, that's what is away from him. That's where sin is. And so God says, all right, for every single person, the same way, like if you get a ticket for littering, you get a $100 fine, God says, one sin equals death. And death to me means eternity in the lake of fire. That's what I mean by death. And God explains that in, in the book of Revelation. And the context for all this is a, it's a judgment. The same way that there's a human court, and we, you literally go stand before a judge. That's what's going to happen to all of creation someday. In Revelation, verses 12 and 13, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those sayings which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which are in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which are in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So we're all going to come before God and be found guilty of our sin and sentenced to death. That's eternal suffering in the lake of fire. That's the way it is. That's what every single one of us earned when we were lost and we didn't know God. Or if you still are lost, you still don't know God. So just as a judgment in human courts, things such as living a relatively good and prosperous life have nothing to do with judgment for crimes committed. When you're accused of felonies and stand before a judge, it doesn't matter if you recycled. It doesn't matter... If you helped an old lady across the street, it doesn't matter if you're a good father or a good mother or a good anybody and kissed your kids goodnight and paid your tax. That's, that's not what it's about. When you come before that judge and he says, you did this and it deserves this, nothing undoes that. Guilty is guilty. So we're guilty of sin and the just sentencing for our crime is hell. That, that's the way to, that's what the Bible says, what the truth is. There's no, there's no talking ourselves out of that. Now, here's why it's called the gospel. Here's why it's called the good news. That doesn't have to be your fate. 
So in Acts 4, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. All right, but, but hold up. Like, a crime was committed. Something's got to be done about that. Someone's going to jail. That's what God says. He says, I'm not mocked. You are going to reap what you sow. There is a price to be paid. Because if I just made everything go away, then what? That makes me look like I'm a, somebody, I'm a pushover. God's not a pushover. God's the creator of heaven and earth, and he's mighty, and he's holy, and he deserves worship and praise. And that's where Jesus comes in. God says there's a price of death. It's a price that has to be paid. And so in Hebrews 9, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. This is why the Jews were sacrificing um, sheep and rams and bulls and goats and that sort of thing in the Old Testament. There was a price of death that had to be paid for their sin. Then God walked the earth in the flesh as Jesus Christ and was crucified as a sacrifice for our sins to pay the price in full. This is God's blood. This is perfect, eternal, righteous blood of God. In the same way that those, that blood of the goats and rams could never actually really accomplish much, the blood of Christ can accomplish everything. It paid that price of sins for everyone forever, period. And that's what our faith is getting put into, nothing else. That's what it says of Christ. It says, even, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life, life a ransom for many. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the entered in once into the holy place, having a, obtained eternal redemption for us. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. It was over. It was done. The price for sin had been paid. No man could work it away. No man could sacrifice a sheep or a bull and get rid of it. A man could only do it, do it by obtaining the gift that Christ would give us by giving his blood. So on the third day after Christ's sacrifice, he rose again as a firstborn from the dead, as a promise that many will rise after him. And so Jesus gives us a, a hope and a promise of immortal life and salvation in his resurrection. And that's how we're justified. In the same way Abraham was justified by believing in, um, that in God's promise, we're now justified and counted righteous by believing in that promise, by believing that his blood did pay for our sins and believing that in just as Christ was risen from the dead, we'll be risen from the dead too. And so that's kind of where we get to um, the point. So how, how does that become me? How, how do I get that gift? Christ paid that blood. Christ paid that price for me when I deserve it. I get it, but do I just get it? Well, no. I mean, if, if you had a murderer in jail, you're not like, all right, you're good, you're good, free now, I paid it for you. That's not really the case. You don't just let people out that are just going to keep doing the same thing. You, you at least got to say sorry. Like, you, you at least got to be a place where you say, I, I don't want to murder people anymore. Like, I don't want to do that. And so that's what Christ asks of us. That's why repentance is part of this whole salvation thing. It's why calling him Lord is part of salvation. It says that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's it. That's the answer. That's how the blood of Christ pays for your sins and you go from deserving hell to being righteous and being in heaven and being on earth with Christ forever. And so... And kind of what I'm, what I'm going to challenge you guys with today is I know we're all church people and, and we live in a, a Christian country. Like how many of us were just born into this and been hearing this stuff their whole lives? 
Like, how do you know you've accepted that gift? So I want to help you guys with that because the Word of God tells us. How do you know that I got that? I received that price paid for me. And Jesus tells us in John 3, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so, no one's going to be surprised when Natalie has her baby, right? We're going to know that baby was born. Like, it was traumatic. It was a real experience where, like, there was no life, and then a life entered into the world. Right, Natalie? So it's a real thing. And guess what? Natalie, it wasn't a process. Natalie, didn't, Natalie isn't going to give birth for, like, a whole lifetime, like a whole, like a, a, trying to work its way there. Like, hopefully he comes out at the end. <laughs> that's not what happened. It happened in a moment. That baby is just going to shoot out of there, and he's, <laughs> he's going to be in the world. <laughs> so, that, so that's the way it's going to be. And so, guys, what Jesus is telling us here, when he compares that first physical birth that we've all had, he compares that to a second birth. And so your second birth is a spiritual one where you become a son of God. You think it isn't just as traumatic and real and obvious as that first birth? You think God's birth is wimpier than the, than the first birth, than the flesh birth? I don't think so. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the reality of being born again, of having the spirit of God. That's not what it looks like. And so in John 14, Jesus gives us a, pro- gives us a promise about this birth. He says, at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So Jesus promises to those who that he will be in, the people that will have his Holy Spirit inside them. He's like, I will manifest myself to you. I will show myself to you. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I think God's probably pretty good at showing himself to people. He's good at manifesting. If, if he wants to get your attention, if he wants you to know that he's inside you, he, you're going to know. He's going to tell you. And things that that's going to look like is, does he answer your prayers? Can you think of them? Can you think of the ones that he's specifically answered? Because if you're his son and you have faith in him, he says he answers them. That doesn't mean he answers all of them. I mean, I've had plenty of prayers. I'm very glad he didn't answer. But he does answer some. He does answer them. The other thing is, like, if you're claiming to be saved, you're claiming that the Holy Spirit is within you and is supernaturally gifting you. Like that, that's something you're going to notice. You're saying that, and you should see yourself walking in the flesh when you're doing all the things you used to do, and you should see yourself walking in the spirit. You should almost have like a split personality syndrome. People accuse me, before I knew all this, when I was, like, when I was living in the world, people were like, dude, Kindle, like, sometimes you love God and you like push us away, and the rest of the time you like do drugs with us still. Like, they were talking behind my back saying I had split personality syndrome. But what was happening, they're, they're, they were watching a spiritual reality take place. They would see me walk in my flesh, and they'd see me get convicted by the word of God, and I'd go back to reading my Bible, and I would stop that sin, and I would get it out of my life, and I'd walk in the Spirit. So these are, th- these are things. If, if you're saved, if you've accepted that price of God, if you actually called Jesus Lord, if you actually told him you're sorry, and he actually saved you and began to dwell in you and born you good, those are things that are going to be happening. And so here's the reality. In Romans 8 9, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And guys, like that's the reality. 
if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and I, I say this with so much love, and I say this caring for each and every one of you out here, and the most loving thing I can do is be sharing this information with you. If, if what I said to you didn't ring a bell, if it doesn't seem like God's been manifesting himself to you, it doesn't seem like he's been answering your prayers or that you've walked in the flesh or walked in the spirit, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you aren't saved. You don't have the spirit of Christ. You're going to hell still. Please consider that. I want to know all you guys. I want to serve Christ with you guys. And so um, if I could have the, the worship team come up and uh, maybe everyone just, just bow their heads and let's, let's really meet with what, I'm, what I've been talking about today. If you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ, you've been called to be a servant today by the word of God. Have you been clocking out? Have you been, have you been acting clocked in? You need to meet with God right now and, and make sure that that's where you're at. Because if you're not, you're being disobedient. You're not serving God the way he's asked you. Let's get right with God in our hearts and make sure that we keep serving him the way he's asked of us. And then guys, if you're that person that I just said, I, I scared you, I just told you that the truth of your reality, if you're placing God according to the word of God, like, please get right with him. Please call upon him as Lord and true repentance and, and reality in your heart. And get saved right here, right now. Today's the day of salvation. You can do that. So, Lord, um, I, I just come before you, and I'm so thankful for you, and I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ, and that um, he came and taught things like this, and that he came and, um, and paid that price of, uh, of sin for us. And I can never be more thankful. And, um, I'm just asking for your word to go forth. I'm just asking for um, hearts to be changed. I'm asking for men and women to live as, as disciples asking for people to serve you the way you deserve to be served because, God, you're worth it. You deserve everything. You deserve every second of my life. You deserve every breath I take. God, you're so good that you still provide um, room for me in my life to enjoy, to have pleasure and to, to do things like um, watch Netflix or, and be with my family. You're such a good Lord and you're such a good Savior. And, Lord, of course, I'm asking for the salvation of people. Um, you have to decide to... Um, to provoke these people to faith. You, you have to be the one that's pricked them in their hearts and your Holy Spirit has to be the one that convinced them that they were a sinner and that you're worth receiving. So God, please just do that today. We're asking for salvation. We're asking for your glory. It's all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.